Dear supporters of BLC, if you adore BLC and our free black history and audiobook content, donate via Patreon or get a print copy of the world-famous art pieces, The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book. The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book in the link below. Chapter 24 of The Marrow of Tradition This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Waddell Chestnut Chapter 24 Two Southern Gentlemen the iron bolt rattled in the lock. The door of a cell swung open, and, when Mr. Delamere had entered, was quickly closed again. "'Well, Sandy?' "'Oh, Mas John, is you fell from heaven to help me out of here? I prayed the Lord to send you, and he answered my prayer, and here you is, Mas John, here you is. "'Oh, Mas John, get me out of this place.' "'Tut, tut, Sandy,' answered his master. "'Of course I'll get you out. "'That's what I've come for. "'How in the world did such a mistake ever happen? "'You would no more commit such a crime than I would.' "'No, sir, deed I wouldn't, and you know I wouldn't. "'I wouldn't want to bring no disgrace on the family that raised me, "'nor to make no trouble for you, sir. "'But here I is, sir, locked up in jail.' And folks talking about hanging me for something that never entered my mind, sir. I swear to God I never thought of such a thing. Of course you didn't, Sandy, returned Mr. Delamere soothingly. And now the next thing, and the simplest thing, is to get you out of this. I'll speak to the officers, and at the preliminary hearing tomorrow, I'll tell them all about you, and they will let you go. You won't mind spending one night in jail for your sins. No, sir, if I was sure I'd be allowed to spend it here. But they say they're going to lynch me tonight. I can hear them talking from the windows of the cell, sir. Well, I say, Sandy, that they shall do no such thing. Lynch a man brought up by a Delamere for a crime of which he is innocent? Preposterous. I'll speak to the authorities and see that you are properly protected until this mystery is unraveled. If Tom had been here... He would have had you out before now, Sandy. My grandson is a genuine Delamere, is he not, Sandy? Yes, sir, yes, sir, returned Sandy, with a lack of enthusiasm which he tried to conceal from his master. And I suppose if he hadn't gone fishing so soon this morning, he'd have been looking after me, sir. It has been my love for him, and your care for me, Sandy, said the old gentleman tremulously, that have kept me alive so long. But now, explain to me everything concerning this distressing matter, and I shall then be able to state your case to better advantage. Well, sir, returned Sandy, I might swell tell the whole tale and not hold nothing back. I was kind of lonesome last night, and since I've been turned out of the church on account of that cakewalk I didn't go to, so help me God, I didn't feel like going to prayer meeting, so I went round to see Solomon Williams. 
and he wasn't home, and then I walked down the street and met Josh Green, and he asked me in a Sam Taylor's place, and I sot round there with Josh till about eleven o'clock, when I started back home. I went straight to the house, sir, and went to bed and to sleep without saying a word to a single soul, except Mr. Tom, who was setting up reading a book when I come in. I wish I may drop dead in my tracks, sir, if that ain't the God's truth, sir, every word of it. I believe every word of it, Sandy. Now tell me about the clothes that you are said to have been found cleaning, and the suspicious articles that were found in your room. That's what beats me, Mars John, replied Sandy, shaking his head mournfully. When I left home last night after supper, my clothes was all put away in the closet in my room folded up on the shelf to keep the moths out. They was my good clothes, the blue coat that you wore to the wedding forty years ago, and them there plaid pants I gun Mr. Cohen four dollars for three years ago. And when I looked in my closet this morning, sir, before I got ready to start for Bellevue, there was my clothes laying on the floor, all muddy and crumpled up, just like somebody had wore them in a fight. Somebody else had wore my clothes. First it been some witchcraft or some sort of devilment going on that I can't make out, sir, to save my soul. There was no witchcraft, Sandy, but that there was some deviltry might well be. Now what other negro who might have been mistaken for you could have taken your clothes? Surely no one about the house. No, sir, no, sir. It couldn't have been Jeff, for he was at Bellevue with you and it couldn't have been Billy, for he was too little to wear my clothes, and it couldn't have been Sally, for she's a woman. It's a mystery to me, sir. Have you no enemies? Is there anyone in Wellington whom you imagine would like to do you an injury? Not a living soul that I knows of, sir. I've been turned out of the church, but I don't know who my enemy is there, uh, if it was all a mistake, like this here jailing is. But the devil is in there somewhere, Mars John, and I got my reasons for saying so. What do you mean, Sandy? Sandy related his experience of the preceding evening, how he had seen the apparition preceding him to the house, and how he had questioned Tom upon the subject. There's some mystery here, Sandy, said Mr. Delamere reflectively. Have you told me all now upon your honor? I am trying to save your life, Sandy, and I must be able to trust your word implicitly. You must tell me every circumstance. A very little and seemingly unimportant bit of evidence may sometimes determine the issue of a great lawsuit. There is one thing especially, Sandy. Where did you get the gold which was found in your trunk? Sandy's face lit up with hopefulness. Why, Mars John, I can explain that part easy. That was money I had lent out, and I got back from... But, no, sir, I promise not to tell. Circumstances absolve you from your promise, Sandy. Your life is of more value to you than any other thing. If you will explain where you got the gold and the silk purse that contained it, which is said to be Mrs. Ochiltree's, you will be back home before night. Old Mr. Delamere's faculties, which had been waning somewhat in sympathy with his health, were stirred to unusual acuteness by his servant's danger. He was watching Sandy with all the awakened instincts of the trial lawyer. He could see clearly enough that, 
in beginning to account for the possession of the gold sandy had started off with his explanation in all sincerity at the mention of the silk purse however his face had blanched to an ashen gray and the words had frozen upon lips a less discerning observer might have taken these things as signs of guilt but not so mr delamere well sandy said his master encouragingly go on you got the gold from sandy remained silent he had had a great shock and had taken a great resolution mas john he asked dreamily you don't believe that i done this thing certainly not sandy else why should i be here and nothing wouldn't make you believe it sir no sandy i could not believe it of you i've known you too long and too well and you wouldn't believe it not even if i wouldn't say one word more about it no sandy i believe you no more capable of this crime than i would be or my grandson tom i wish tom were here that he might help me overcome your stubbornness but you'll not be so foolish so absurdly foolish sandy as to keep silent and risk your life merely to shield someone else when by speaking you might clear up this mystery and be restored at once to liberty just tell me where you got the gold added the old gentleman persuasively come now sandy that's a good fellow mas john asked sandy softly when my daddy way back yonder before the war was about to be sold away from his wife and children you bought him and them and kept us all on your place together didn't you sir yes sandy and he was a faithful servant and proved worthy of all i did for him and when he had worked for you ten years sir you sot him free yes sandy he had earned his freedom and when the woe broke out and my folks was scattered and i didn't have nothing to do nor nowhere to go you kept me on your place and took me to wait on you sir didn't you yes sandy and you have been a good servant and a good friend but tell me now about this gold and i'll go get you out of this right away for i need you sandy and you'll not be of any use to me shut up here just hold on for a minute before you go mars john for if them people outside should get hold of me before you does get me out of here i may never see you no more sir in this world when mars billy mclean shot me by mistake while we was out hunting that day who was it bound up my wounds and kept me from bleeding to death and carried me two miles on his own shoulders to a doctor yes sandy and when black sally ran away with your young mistress and tom when tom was a baby who stopped the runaway and saved their lives at the risk of his own that wasn't nothing sir anybody could have done that what was strong enough and swift enough you's been good to me sir all these years and i've tried to do my duty by you sir and by mr tom who was your own grandson and the last one of the family yes you have sandy and when i am gone which will not be very long tom will take care of you and see that you never want but we are wasting valuable time sandy in these old reminiscences let us get back to the present tell me about the gold now so that i may at once look after your safety it may not even be necessary for you to remain here all night just one word mo mas john before you go 
I know you're going to do the best you can for me, and I'm sorry I can't help you no more with it, but if there should be any accident, uh, if you can't get me out of here, don't bother your mind about it no more, sir, and don't get yourself excited, for you know the doctor says, sir, that you can't stand excitement. But just leave me in the hands of the Lord, sir. He'll look after me, here or hereafter. I know I fell from grace more than once, but I've done made my peace with him in this here jailhouse, sir, and I ain't feared to die, if I have to. I ain't got no wife, no children to moan for me, and I'll die knowing that I've done my duty to them that hired me, and trusted me, and had claims on me. For I was raised by a Delamere, sir, and all the old Delamere's was gentlemen, and their principles spread to the niggers round em, sir. And if I has to die for something I didn't do, I can die, sir, like a gentleman. But as for that goal, sir, I ain't going to say one more word about it to nobody in this world. Nothing could shake Sandy's determination. Mr. Delamere argued, expostulated, but all in vain. Sandy would not speak. More and more confident of some mystery which would come out in time, if properly investigated, Mr. Delamere, strangely beset by a vague sense of discomfort over and beyond that occasioned by his servant's danger, hurried away upon his errand of mercy. He felt less confident of the outcome than when he had entered the jail, but was quite as much resolved that no effort should be spared to secure protection for Sandy until there had been full opportunity for the truth to become known. "'Take good care of your prisoner, Sheriff,' he said sternly, as he was conducted to the door. "'He will not be long in your custody, and I shall see that you are held strictly accountable for his safety.' "'I'll do what I can, sir,' replied the Sheriff in an even tone, and seemingly not greatly impressed by this warning. "'If the prisoner is taken from me, it will be because the force that comes for him is too strong for resistance.' There should be no force too strong for an honest man in your position to resist. Whether successfully or not is beyond the question. The officer who is intimidated by threats or by his own fears is recreant to his duty, and no better than the mob which threatens him. But you will have no such test, Mr. Wemus. I shall see to it myself that there is no violence. End of chapter 24 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Dear supporters of BLC, if you adore BLC and our free black history and audiobook content, donate via Patreon or get a print copy of the world-famous art pieces, The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book. The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs bound together into just one practical book in the link below.